Okay, who remembers this from the, from the 1990s? Uh, it, it was V, V05. How many remember that? Was it V05? Someone said, some, sorry? Pantene? Who says Pantene? How many people know that it was V05? Me and Pete McKinnon, when it comes to hair care, me and Pete McKinnon. Okay, so this is the Pantene ad, Pete. Uh, it won't happen overnight. Um, and, and, and then what was the next line? Okay, if, if, this, if they're making this ad today, it would say this. It won't happen overnight. Sorry, I'm not interested. Shut up. Because this is how we do it now. What we want now is we just want this. Spray and walk away, right? The reality is there's actually been a massive shift in the society around you. There's a massive shift in you from it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Okay, I'll buy it. To now really all I want to do is spray and walk away. And in fact, I would only want to have to spray. I'd prefer just to walk away, right? And I reckon a way to think about it in the modern world today is that instant is no longer fast enough right? Instant is not fast enough. There is a statistic that they've measured because they, Google measures all these things whenever you're doing it, right? There's a time limit, right, that they know right across the world how long people wait when they click on an attachment for it to open before they'll start clicking repeatedly because it's not working, right? I, I can't remember what it was, but how long does it take for Google to find everything, right? I did a Google search, and I did a Google search on happy, and I've got a picture of it here. There it is here. Oh, I've done it. I think. Okay. Here it is here. So this is my chance to use the laser pointer. Okay. So you can see over here, I've Googled happy. And it's come up with uh, some responses on here. If you look closely, it says how to take a screenshot, uh, which was my next Google search after that. All right. Uh, so happy, I Googled it. And I took a screenshot as well. Uh, and it says that it takes th- uh, about 3,400 3, uh, 3 billion 480 million 3 billion 480 million responses results in 0.65 seconds so how long did it take to get each of those responses well you divide 0.65 by I've left off three zeros in my slide uh, and there is a spelling mistake coming up this is for people to spot because uh, I know how much you like it right? So think about the changes just in your lifetime and the ne- are you doing this I think I'm clicking but I'm not am I Okay. Okay. So just changes in my lifetime. So imagine I've I've not played PS4, but I've watched people play it. Right. Uh, so you've got this massively dense graphic images. It's, you can play online, multiple players. It's a hugely complex sort of thing compared to what I began on, which is the Commodore VIC-20. How many people had a VIC-20? Yeah, a Commodore. Uh, we uh, my cousin had a Vic Twenty. Then we actually got the Commodore sixty four, which was like the biggest, fastest, baddest thing out. But the Vic Twenty to load Arcadians, which is a two dimensional Space Invader game, it used to take twenty minutes with a tape drive, like a cassette tape, and you put it in and you press play on the cassette. Do you have you seen these people? You press play on the cassette and it loads up, but every fourth time it just wouldn't load up, so you'd have to do it again. So it'd be 40 minutes to load up one game to play, but now you just put it in and you get this massive experience that you wouldn't have had before. What about email versus traditional post? Do you know when, when Christine, I, I broke up with Christine when we were going out and she was a little upset about it. She shifted to the other side of the world 
Um, so I had to write letters to win her back, uh, and I would write long letters on refill paper with ballpoint pen. It was very uh, romantic. Uh, and then it would take five days for that letter to get to England, and then I'd have to wait for five days for a letter to come back. But you couldn't get out of sync, otherwise your letters didn't like you were answering questions that weren't asked. and So you had to wait this, this sort of 10-day cycle. Uh, now you can instantly communicate any, just about anywhere in the world instantly. I can remember when I was a first-year school teacher, they sat all the teachers down in the computer lab. They had all these computers, and I was like, wow, computers. Uh, and they taught us about email. Okay, they were telling us all about email. And I, can, I said to the, computer, the person teaching us, who was the computer teacher, I said, this is amazing. I reckon this will change the world. And he said to me, it actually already has. That's why we're telling you about it. Uh, <laughs> the, the reality is this, though, that we, with all these changes, we've become conditioned to instant. We instantly get what we want. Right, and we instantly want it, and it's it plays into human nature, and human nature's got an instantaneous desire to grab what it wants. I'll get what I want. I'll get what I need, and this instant the technology has given us this instant environment that really plays on who we are. It changes changes our thinking, changes us emotionally, right? And the question you got to ask yourself is that a bad thing? It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think one of the things it does do is it makes us really easily manipulated. It's not a bad thing that we've got this. It's not a bad thing that we can email. It's not a bad thing that we've got better games than than, um, VIC-20. That's not a bad thing at all. But it does. This instant idea makes us really easily manipulated. I've got this quote from a famous thinker and uh, philosopher, Joan Collins. She says, We live in a quick-fix society where we need instant gratification for everything. Uh, If you're too fat, get liposucked. If you have stringy hair, glue on some extensions. If you have wrinkles or lines, head to the booty shop for a pot of the latest miracle skin stuff. And she makes this point. It's all a beautiful one billion, that's her estimate, uh, pound. I would suggest there's many, many billions. It's a billion-pound con foisted upon insecure women by canny cosmetic conglomerates. Well, think about the back in the day when you were buying a car. Back in the day when you were buying a car, if you're buying a new car in New Zealand, you had to wait for it to arrive on a ship. So I can remember my grandfather telling me when he first bought a new car, his first car he bought was a Model T Ford that he bought off somebody else, right? It was secondhand. And the one he bought, the guy he bought it off when he got around to buying these, he bought two. He bought two Model T Fords at the same time. He bought two because it took one year for them to get to Auckland. So you pay the deposit, and in Detroit they start making it, and a year later you're getting this Model T Ford, right? And he bought two, and he left one. He leaves one in the garage in its crate, and he uses up the first one. He suddenly thinks, "Oh, probably time to sell it." So he sells that one to my grandfather, and then he just busts out the next Model T Ford. Now, if you're going to have to wait a year for it to arrive, how many people know you think really differently about the? But if you're going to get it instantly, then you throw away the idea of comparing it with a Holden or whatever else, and you instantly you're much more manipulatable. If they can put it in your hand right now, that's the one you get. Have you ever been at the shop and you can order the t- the color you really want, but they've got the black ones there, so you just grab the black one, right? And we become easily manipulatable. Carrie Fisher and a bunch of others said this: instant gratification takes too long. I've got, some, I've got some literature for you as well. Kafka says, all human errors, oh, sorry, Alden says, perhaps there is only one cardinal sin. 
It's impatience. Because of impatience, we were driven out of paradise. Because of impatience, we cannot return. Kafka, I only understand the first half of this quote, so don't, don't quiz me on the second half. It says, all human errors are impatience. It's a premature breaking off of methodical procedure. Then the next bit I don't understand, an apparent fencing in of what is apparently at issue. Anyway, then my favorite quote, this is from a, a, a U.S. scholar and um, politician. He says, ever since man began to till soil and learn not to eat the seed as grain, but to plant it and wait for the harvest, the postponement of gratification has been the basis of a higher standard of living and a higher standard of civilization. And St. Paul from the Bible says this, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, so whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, so instantly meaning the desires of the flesh, will of the flesh will reap what? Corruption. But whoever soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary. Everyone say, don't be weary. So this is advice because of his, because of the reality. So don't trick yourself about life is what Paul's saying. He's writing this to the Galatians, to a bunch of Christians. How many people know that the whole thrust of the book of Galatians is we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, right? That's the whole thrust of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is referred to as the battle axe of reformation, right? Because it cuts against a works theology. But in the middle of it, actually towards the end of it, he says, don't be fooled, though, about your life. You're saved by grace through faith, but don't be fooled about your life. However you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Right? That's how, and he's saying God's not going to be mocked, right? God set up the whole world, and, and he's not going to be mocked by people who think, well, because I'm saved, I can live however I want and get the results I want. He says, come on, however you sow, that's going to be the result of your life. And then his advice is this, don't get weary in doing good. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Why does he say, well, you know, this is the trick about the Bible. Why does the Bible say don't get tired doing the right thing? Because there's nothing more tiring than doing the right thing. Doing the right thing and 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 doing the right thing. Do you know in the global financial crisis, there was one investment company that for 10 years previously, they'd been betting that it was going to, the whole thing was going to collapse, right? So there's this massive fund of money and they were doing reverse futures. So a future is where you take a bet that this, this company's going to go up. So you take a bet that company's going to go up. Right? So they took bets. Every day they took bets that companies were going to go down. It's all going to go down. The banks are going to fail. It's all going to go down. Right? They take bets on it. Right? Because they'd done the maths. Right? And every single day they finished the day with less money than they started. And they went home. <laughs> right? Every single day. And as the pressure got built, they lost more and more and more money. They had investors trying to pull out, but they'd signed the investors up into ironclad contracts and the investors couldn't get their money. Right? When the GFC happened, they made $540 billion overnight. Right, because they didn't get weary doing good. 
They knew the system was inflated. They knew the reality. And that's the same in life. We've got to keep focused on the reality. Come on, we know how life works. Let's not get weary doing the right thing. We've got a pattern in Scripture in Christ. We can see His character in the Beatitudes. We can keep growing. We can keep inviting the Holy Spirit to work in us. We can keep confessing our sin. We can keep pushing forward, right? And as long as we don't get weary doing good, in due season we'll what? We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Everybody said? Amen. Okay, so there's two things that we want to talk about, and they are delayed gratification and f- advanced decision-making. How many people have heard of the, delayed, the famous delayed gratification experiments? Uh, so psychologists, uh, the little kid, the little kid there, and they're behind the glass and cameras, and the little kid's given um, a marshmallow, right? How many know that if, if you put a marshmallow near a little kid, you just the marshmallow disappears, right? But they put the marshmallow by the little kid, and then they, they tell the kid, uh, you have this marshmallow, but if you, you can eat it right now, it's yours to eat. If you want to eat it, you can eat it. But I'm just going out, and I'll be back in a bit. They don't tell the kid how long. They say, I'm going to be back in a bit. If you save the marshmallow, I'll give you two more, right? And so they do that. They go away. They wait for a bit. And then they've got these. If you go online, you can see these hideous videos of kids trying not to touch and trying not to eat the marshmallow. And they do a bunch of things. Kids, they, kids, the kids that were successful in not eating it have all these strategies. So some of them turn around so they can't see the marshmallow. Uh, some of them start singing songs with their eyes closed. Some of them are like, don't eat the marshmallow, don't eat the marshmallow, right? And some of them are just, some of them just put their hands really close to And then me and you, we just ate it, right? Short video. But they've, what they've done is they've followed these marshmallow kids now for 20 years, I think, something like that, right into adulthood, through their careers. And do you know the kids who ate the marshmallow just haven't done as well, right? Because within them, they've got this ability. Some of these kids have just got a more natural ability to, to hold on and wait for the, the work, the process, so they get the, the result that they need, right? Do you know in your life, if you can delay gratification, you'll get the results that you want, and if you can make a decision beforehand, right, if you make the decision beforehand of how you're going to live your life, when the pressure is on, you have a much, much greater chance of following through on your decisions, right? It produces stuff in our life, right? So delay gratification, advanced decision making. In our relationships, it produces a flourishing family life and a great network of friends. If you always do relationships where you do what you want, you get what you want out of it, and you do, also, if you don't decide beforehand what a marriage is going to be like, if you don't decide beforehand how, you, how you're going to deal with your kids. Do you know, when, when our daughter Maddie was uh, 12, I sat down with a wise person in our church who's got adult daughters. And I said, what's the best decision you made when your daughters were teenagers? What's the best thing you did through those years? What was I doing? I was trying to figure out, I was trying to decide now, how am I going to operate as a father right through it? It's an advanced decision and getting some wisdom on an advanced decision. If you can delay gratification and make advanced decisions in your physical health, you're going to live longer, have more energy every day. You'll have a better quality of life, better brain function. If you can decide how you're going to manage your emotional and mental health, you're going to grow internal, you'll have a growing sense of internal peace. You have a more prosperous and hopeful thought life. If you, can have, if you can delay gratification and make advanced decisions with your finances, right? We all know the answer. We've seen the sorted ads. You'll actually, 
You'll grow to be someone who has the ability to be generous, not just the attitude of being generous. You know, I love that I've got friends who have the attitude of being generous, but I, I love my friends who have the attitude and the ability. I love them more. I, I, I love the fact that I have friends who would buy me a coffee, but I much, I much prefer hanging out with my friends who do buy me coffee, right? Uh, we, can be, we can have the ability to be generous, not just to be generous, but we can actually establish future generations for our family. Do you know? My dad's 67. He, I was talking to him on the phone the other day. And uh, just talking through um, his property empire because he regularly updates me on things because um, he's really nervous that somebody else knows where things are at because my mum's not interested in details at all. And, um, and you know, he's in a position now where he's planning because he's already leveraged all of his children into their, our first homes. Now he's figuring out he's got 20 grandchildren, how he's going to leverage all 20 grandchildren into their first home. Right? How has he done that? He's done that by delaying gratification and advanced decision-making. Across the last 14 years, he's been buying investment properties, and he's been topping them up $200 a week for 14 years. That's how much it's cost him to position himself now to be a generous grandfather positioning his grandchildren, right? Because of his ability to delay gratification, right? What about your spiritual life? Because I'm a pastor. This is what we're going to talk about for the rest of the morning. If you, can, if you can delay gratification and make advanced decisions in your spiritual life, you, you're going to become mature. And as the pastor of this church, if there's nothing I want more than for you to become mature. Because actually that's my job, is for you to become mature in the faith. Because actually how do I change the city is I, I create an environment for the church to grow so that we can impact the city with the kingdom of God. It's a simple, simple plan, right? Mature, do you know what? If you can grow spiritually, do you know what else you'll be? You'll be useful. Not just, to, not just in church, but to the kingdom of God, you'll be useful. God can use you. The gifts and the talents and the abilities that He put within you won't just be gifts and talents within you. They'll be gifts and talents that change communities, that shift people, other people in their life. Do you know, you end up with satisfaction, and the Bible teaches us that when we grow spiritually, we have contentment in Christ. So I want to talk about three things in, in your spiritual development and your spiritual disciplines, Right? If we were talking physical exercise and your physical health, I'd be talking to you about diet and exercise, those two things probably, and sleep. Diet, exercise, and sleep. If you need a challenge in your physical health, if you're not sleeping eight hours, try it out. Uh, if, if you're eating sugar, try not. Uh, if you don't exercise every day, start walking 20 minutes every day. Start today, right? Because uh, that's really a minimum Better exercise, good sleep, and a good diet. That's sort of a minimum. That's, that's not for crazy. That's not a fitness freak. That's just like a person who wants to live long, all right? Uh, but we're talking about your spiritual health, and I've got three things, right? The first thing is that you need input in your spiritual life. I, I, I think that the most dangerous place you can be in your spiritual world is, in, is isolated from other people. Because if you isolate from other Christians, you also isolate from God. So you need input. And this is, what, this is my minimum requirement for my life, right? We, on, when believers gather together, pray and worship. For us as a church, we do that on Sunday. And here we all are. Look at our smiling faces, right? When we gather together to pray and worship, do you know, I need to be there. I, it's not that I want to be there. It's that I 
need to be there, right? Why do I need to be there? Because it's a basic minimum requirement for spiritual health. Why do I need to be spiritually healthy? Because I don't want to be immature and I don't want to be useless. I don't want to be discontented in my spiritual journey with God. How many people want to be actually useful in God? Yeah, we want to actually move forward and make a difference in the world. We want to be who God's called us to be. There's a desire in our hearts to live out our vision and live out our dreams. You know, one of the things you can do to really make that happen is turn up at church on Sunday, right? Because here you're going to get input, right? People will have PowerPoints, scriptures written down, stories to tell. But the bigger input you get is from other people as we gather to worship, that we actually connect with God when we gather in a way that doesn't happen in our own private world, right? It's like a unique space where God moves differently. And, and that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. It says, don't neglect meeting together as some people do. He was writing to the Hebrews specifically because the Christian gatherings had been outlawed and a lot of them were just meeting uh, just in their families. They're just honoring Jesus in their family. They weren't coming together um, in, a, in sort of the temple anymore because of the fact that they, when they did that, they would lose their jobs and businesses and sometimes their family homes and sometimes their lives, uh, which doesn't happen in New Zealand, but it would discourage me from attending church. And, and the Scripture says, come on, don't neglect gathering together because there is a price to it. It does cost you. I know it costs you to be here. If you've got little kids, it, it really is quite hard getting them into their best clothes on Sunday morning, right? Uh, I can remember when our kids were littler, the challenge was, was getting them in shoes, right? And then to church with all their shoes on, right? So there's eight shoes. There's eight kids' shoes in our family, right? And you'd get eight shoes on eight feet, and you'd get to church, and there'd be four shoes on five different feet, you know? And there'd be shoes, Smith shoes all around the foyer of the church, right? And in the car and on the street, right? And it does cost us to get to church. You've got you to get up early on a Sunday when you could sleep in. You've got to get down here instead of going out to a cafe. But especially as we see God drawing near, as God's advancing the kingdom, we need to be in a space we're gathering together. Okay, so number one, input. Everyone say input. If we're going to grow spiritually, we need the input that happens on a Sunday. Uh, the next one is R. These are from Bill Hybel's book. And they're the IRA, they stand for. So input, and this one is reflection. And this is my minimum requirement as well. Every day, I need to take time to reflect and open my heart to Jesus. There's a million different words for this. It's like a, a quiet time or daily devotions or it's your Bible reading or it's journaling or it's that mixture of those. I had one friend who told me one time, uh, one guy preaching actually, he was saying one time, if you just can get up and for 10 minutes, think. Just for 10 minutes, just think. Where am I at? What's going on in my world? Uh, if you can open up a journal and just write down where, you, where, where is your soul at? What's, your, what's going on in your mind? What's going on in your emotions? How you feel about what's going on? If you can read some Bible, how hard is it to read the Bible? Well, I was telling someone the other week, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, it's this hard to read the Bible. You ready? Should we do a daily devotion? Okay, I'm opening my Bible app. Bear in mind that this is a MyZoo telephone. It's not very fast. And I'm going home, and I'm going to the verse of the day. It says this, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. I thought this was quite handy. Uh, don't be upset when God corrects you, for the Lord corrects those He loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom He delights. God, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You that You're speaking to me now. I ask that You'd correct in me the things that need to be corrected. Lord, I, I choose to, to receive correction from You. Lord, if You want to speak to me about stuff, Lord, please bring it up in my life. Thank you for today. 
I pray you'd be with me today. That's, that's, his, that's, the, that's enough. Seriously, that's a million times more than nothing. Because we're talking about the eternal Word of God. We're talking about a prayer connection with the Creator of the universe. Uh, the question is, how, uh, uh, how much of the Bible do you need to read? If you read any of it, it you're connecting with the eternal Word of God. So the, uh, a one verse versus one chapter, the difference is, 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 is actually irrelevant because it's one chapter of the eternal reality of God or it's one verse of the eternal reality of God. It doesn't matter if you just get one word that where God can begin speaking to you about it. But what you need is just the challenge that says when you wake up in the morning, you pick up your phone or you pick up your Bible and you just read that one verse or you read that one idea so that way you get moving uh, in the world. This is a minimum requirement if we're going to grow spiritually. Did you know if you don't come to church and you don't read your Bible, do you know what? You will not grow spiritually. You just remain the same. Do you know, if you don't exercise and eat well and sleep well physically, do you know what? You don't grow and develop physically, right? But here's the sad thing about it. You don't stay the same, do you? <laughs> Alan's laughing. He might be able to tell you a story about what happens. But actually, your body doesn't, you don't, you don't remain 18 physically, right? I certainly haven't, Right? And it's the same in your spirit. The freshness of what God's doing, you can actually lose some of the ground you've taken, some of your abilities in God, if we're not moving forward. Amen? Okay, who's ready for a spelling mistake? Oh, it's there. It was Chiorinthians. Yeah, Chiorinthians. Okay, spiritual discipline. Uh, abstinence. So this is the A of the IRA. Um, and here's the simple reality of physics. If we're moving towards Jesus... We're moving away from some things. And there's some things that if we move away from them, we will be moving towards Jesus, right? Probably right now, you know what the God's challenging you on. I could list a whole lot of different examples, but probably as soon as the word abstinence went up there, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit's got this way of just pressing the buzzer real quick. That's your problem. That's the thing you need to move away from. That's the attitude you need to abandon. That's the, the, way, the, the way of talking, the way of thinking that you need to change. That's the behavior that needs to change in your world. You know, the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that I don't have to be bossy and tell you, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, stop doing that, because you have the Holy Spirit as your guide, as your teacher, right? In 1 Corinthians, so this is back to the Greek Corinthians, the other one was the Italian one. It says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, right? Because Jesus saved me. Paul says they had this false argument in Corinth, but because of the blood of Christ, I can now do anything, right? And Paul says, uh, you, you sort of can. I'm allowed to do anything. But Paul says, yeah, you can, but not everything is good for you. I'm allowed to do anything. Well, yes, yeah, that's cool. But not it's like when you, when you leave home and you start flattering. I can eat what I want now. Yeah, you can. It's not a great idea, though, to just, oh, I'm just going to eat cheese, I love cheese. It's like you'll lose, you have less friends. And just have boiled eggs. I'm just going to eat curried eggs, right? Yeah, if you love curried eggs, that's awesome. I can just eat curried eggs. Yes, you can, but it's not good for you, right? And it's the same in our spiritual life. You can, your behaviors are not keeping you out of heaven. They're keeping heaven out of your life. Now, your behavior, it doesn't keep you out of heaven. It keeps heaven out of earth, Right, and there's things that you need to move away from, and there's and the, and that's a journey, and that's a challenge. 
right? It's like if you've ever watched The Biggest Loser, people transforming their life in way too short a time for the benefit of TV, right? But it's a journey, it's a challenge, it requires effort, you need good coaching, you need good understandings, and that's the same. If you've got behaviors in your life that have been set in, thinking that's been set in, you're going to need some coaching to help you through it, you're going to need people to stand with you, and, but you're going to have to, it's going to require some commitment from you to say, I'm moving away from that because I'm wanting to move towards Jesus. This is, I don't know if I'm making sense today. Yeah, I hope it's making sense today because actually we, if we're going to be who God's called us to be, uh, we can certainly help in the whole process. Amen? Okay, here's a little piece of reality that I think is important, right? Uh, all of us understand about discipline, but my point is this. Uh, the understanding produces no results, zero results, Right? I under, do you know what? One of the things I understand about is, is, uh, is um, I run under, I understand about weightlifting and jogging. Does anyone else understand about weightlifting and jogging? Oh, that as you lift the weight, it, it, put, it stresses the muscle and then the muscle heals and it becomes stronger than it was before. I know that jogging every day causes beneficial adaptions into your body in terms of how your blood works, your lungs work, your muscles work. I understand about weightlifting and jogging. I understand, I understand about communication. If I make sure I'm communicating with the people in my world, I understand that I need to keep people uh, close. I need, to, I need to communicate love. And I understand how communication works. I also, I understand uh, how reading the Bible and prayer works. I understand that. Does anyone else understand that? Right? I understand how forgiveness and repentance works. I understand how saving money works. I understand how discipline works. But compare that to practice, because it's actually our practice that shapes our reality, right? I practice weightlifting and jogging. It's part of my life. Do you know, if that's true, it will be visibly evident right? Because it will make a change in my life. I practice communication. It's part of my life. I practice reading the Bible and prayer. It's part of my life. I practice forgiveness and repentance. It's part of who I am. I practice saving money. It's part of my life. I practice discipline. It's part of my life. See, our understanding doesn't need to change that much. And you know what? Our practice only needs to change a little bit as well. And as long as we don't get weary, we reap a harvest. It's a great story in the Bible of uh, Daniel. How many people like the story of Daniel? It's a, it's a really interesting period in the history of Israel. What's happened in Israel is that they have been captured. So they stopped worshiping God properly. They got captured. Uh, and then they got uh, the, the nation was sort of semi-destroyed. And then all of particularly all of the well-bred and well-educated young people were taken from Israel uh, and taken to Babylon, right? Right across the desert to Babylon, uh, where is modern-day Iraq, right? And the emperor of Babylon did this all around the world. He would get smart people from everywhere he conquered and bring them back to Babylon to add to the intelligence and of what they were doing in terms of the empire, right? And Daniel was one of these young people who's captured and is brought into this foreign land. And so he's got this challenge now of how is he going to live as a Jew? So Jews live in a really prescribed way. And how is he going to live now as a Jew, honoring God in an environment that's really converse, an environment that's really abjectly opposed to his way of living? And the first challenge they had as Jews, obviously, was the catering, 
right? How are they going to eat the food that the, the Babylonians eat? What are they going to eat? There's the Babylonian food, and it's not being cooked kosher. It's not a, you know, so Daniel has this plan, and we can read about his plan uh, in, um, in uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 18, right? This is his plan, and it's, he's, make, he's making this decision. I like it. I, I've, I've done red and an underline. Look at that word. Daniel resolved. So before he gets to Babylon or before he sits down in a meal, he, just, he makes a decision. He makes a resolution. Not a New Year's resolution, but he, makes a, he resolves something in his heart. Do you know, when we make resolutions and the trust that controls the church, it's like when you make a, a, a change that's going to be permanent, right? And you print it out on a piece of paper and everyone has to sign it and it gets registered at the IRD. There's a resolution around how we're doing the trust, right? That's what this resolved is. He's, he's, he's printed it out, he's signed it, and it's unchangeable. He resolved not to defile himself, right, with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of, because my Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you, right? So Daniel makes this resolution, and then he's looking for favor in the environment around him, right? And um, and, and and he's the 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 guy who's in charge of the food is like, oh, yeah, it's a pretty good idea, and I know you, you you're a nice young man. I don't want to upset your faith or anything like that, but if you end up looking skinny, the king's going to kill me because I'm in charge of feeding you, all uh, right? And so Daniel decides, right? Daniel resolves. He doesn't want to defile himself, right? Check out the next verses, right? Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, up until this point, those guys were just like, a bit of bacon wouldn't be bad. Right? Please test your servants. Before, he's like, he didn't want to defile himself. Please, please, can you give me food so I don't defile myself? And they say, oh, I don't know about it. He says, oh, actually, I'll get some help. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And then treat your servants according to what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. And if you know the story, they eat only fruit and vegetables uh, and wa- drink water for 10 days, right? And then they come out 10 times. The king says they look 10 times better than the other Jewish young men who defiled themselves with the food, right? Here's the thing. We do need to resolve in our heart, right? But once you hit opposition, Daniel did the right thing. He was, he's got a resolution in his heart, but now he's hit some opposition. He's like, okay, I, please don't let me define myself. Oh, I don't know about it. Okay, well, give us different food. You know, that's the beauty of church is that you get to resolve in your heart, and then when the pressure comes on, there's, there's an us around you. There's some other people to stand with you. There's some other people to say, come on, let's hold on to the truth of Scripture. Come on, let's hold on to the plan of your life. You might be looking for a job, and you think, I don't want to get any old job. I want to get a job that's going to be part of my future, right? How many of you know that that's a challenging decision, to a resolution to make, right? I'm going to start studying at university, and I'm going to go back and retrain. How many of you know when the pressure comes on, you need to be able to quickly say, 
say, test us, your servants. I'm going to go and study, but when the pressure comes on, you're going to need some other people to fall back on who then can say, come on, let's stand together and let's believe and let's help work out this journey of discipline so we can see the results that God's got for you. Do you like that little picture? It's a powerful, powerful thought. The Bible goes on, it says um, in um, Amos 3.3, it says, uh, can two walk together unless they be agreed? See, when we agree something together, if, if we're going to agree together to live differently, then we can walk together. That's Amos 3.3. The next scripture I've got for you is this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. How does a triple braided cord work? John, jump up here. We'll show you. So let's say Jono's made a decision that Jono's no, he's got, let's say Jono's going to stop swearing at work in the lunchroom, right? Because uh, uh, one of the elders of the church has heard him swearing and telling rude jokes in the lunchroom, right? So Jono makes a resolution in his heart. So just make that resolution in your heart. And that might be a word of knowledge that I've had just now, but we'll see, right? So Jono makes a resolution, right? Now, how many of you know if that's his decision, right? How many people know that he is going to be easily attacked, right? And he'll be, and he'll be attacked and he'll be defeated, right? Unless I'm one of his workmates and, I, and, and I, maybe I'm a friend or a Christian as well, and, and, or maybe I'm just not a workmate but I'm a friend and he can say to me, oh, I've made this resolution in my heart. I don't want to be telling rude jokes or swearing in the lunchroom at, at church, right? Then we can stand back to back and at church on a Sunday I can say, oh, how did you go, Jono? With uh, swearing, not, uh, not swearing and telling bad jokes. Yeah, real, real good. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and then and we can stand together, right? So that's the two of us. But then a triple braided cord is when I say, come on, John, I'm going to trust with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you next Sunday how it went. But let's pray right now for the Holy Spirit to be there with you, right? So then we can pray and ask God to be in that situation. So John has got my human support, but we've also allowed God to come in. We're agreeing together so that John can walk, and we're, and we're agreeing and bringing God into the situation, just like Daniel and his friends did in the same sort of situations we are in our workplace or school or university. They, they stood together so they could stand at all in this whole idea of discipline. Give John a hand. Thank you, John. Awesome. And uh, we're going to have worship in a minute because I think we've got the whole sound system back. Hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have worship in a minute. Um, and, uh, but before we do, we're going to get, Rich is going to share a testimony in, in just a second. Uh, Rich, I'll make you share the testimony first and then I'll do my last bit. Is that all right? Why don't you give Richard a hand if you don't know Richard? Richard Cole is one of the awesome members of our church. If you've not met him before, you've been missing out. Uh, he was going to share the testimony at the start of the sermon, but I thought it would be unfair to make him do that without a microphone, so we'll get him to do it now. Is that all right? Awesome. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Jordan. Um, I guess um, Jono asked me if I could sort of share some thoughts and experiences on uh, discipline, and the first thing that came to mind is why are you asking me? Um, I don't, didn't think of myself as disciplined. I guess when I thought of discipline, you think of like an Olympic athlete who um, their whole life is focused around this one goal, they're training, they haven't this training for years, they eat the right things, and um, that's not really what, what I thought of myself. Um, 
but I did, when I've been thinking about it, I thought, yeah, there are areas in my life where I am disciplined. And, um, and um, I think all of us have areas where we're stronger and areas where we're weaker. And it's very easy with discipline to, I guess, get into it as a sort of self, um, 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 it's, it's, it's doing it yourself and trying to, in your own strength, um, change. And I don't think that's really what the Bible teaches. Um, I've got a few, couple of verses, um, Colossians 2, 23. Um, These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Um, so I, I guess if you're trying to do it yourself, there's, um, yeah, you're just not going to be able to do it in your, by just following rules. Um, the second verse I had was 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of, a spirit of fear, timidity, timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And then the third verse I had is the, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I guess discipline is a, it's a gift, it's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's not in our own strength. It's um, it's the Holy Spirit um, at work in us. And I guess something I noticed when I was preparing is that both chapter 2 of Colossians and chapter 5 of Galatians are about freedom and Christ. And so if there's, I guess one of the reasons we want to be disciplined is for freedom. And um, if we're doing it in our own strength, then there won't be freedom. So, um, but it doesn't mean we can just sit back and wait and expect we'll be disciplined. We still need to... Um, I guess push into God, trust God, and um, I guess engage faith, and then it's the grace of God and um, the Holy Spirit working our lives that gives us or helps us develop discipline in our lives. Thanks, Coach. I, I reckon that's a really important aspect of the gospel, when we talk about discipline, is that it's a gift from God. And I love the scriptures that Richard used, and I'm going to use them as well. But discipline, in the Galatians 1, it's, it's, a, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if we, if we need to be more disciplined, we actually need the Holy Spirit to be more active in our world. Otherwise, we're not going to be more disciplined. It will just, we'll just be stronger in our flesh. We need the Holy Spirit strength in it, right? Um, jump, jump, jump to the next slide, Dougal. Uh, discipline's a gift from God and it's a weapon against fear. That's what Richard just told us from Timothy, 2 Timothy, sorry. Um, and then uh, there's a scripture in James, which is, which is this next one. It, it, it's this, is that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think where we could get the idea of discipline most wrong is if we think, I'm going to be more disciplined, so I'm going to work really hard, and then I'm going to be really proud of myself for how hard I've worked, and then I'm going to look at Jono, who's still telling rude jokes and swearing in the lunchroom, and I'm going to judge him for his lack of discipline. And I don't know if that's been a dynamic in church life as I've grown up or whether it's actually just in me, right? But it, it 
it's either in church life around me or it's in me that it's a, we need to work hard and we need to not do this and not do that if we're going to be a Christian, right? But we're a Christian when Jesus saves us and then we learn through discipline to become effective as Christians, right? We don't be a Christian through our discipline. And it's again, it's, a, it's an act of humility to say, God, I would like to be more disciplined in my finances. I would like to be more disciplined in relationships. I'd like to be more disciplined in, in whatever area of our life we're our ill-discipline is letting us down. And then it says, I'm humble enough to ask you, God, and I need your grace. And this is the Bruce Monk definition of grace. I'm sure he got it from somewhere else, but he never would reference it, right? But he says, grace is God's empowering presence, enabling me to be all he has called me to be and to do all he's called me to do. Next week, Jono, you'll be proofreading these. I'm sorry. Uh, enabling me to be all He's called me to be and to do all He's called me to do. See, it's the grace of God that's going to allow us to make right decisions on a daily basis that produce the results that we need in our world. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. Musicians, why don't you dash up? Uh, we're going to pray for a second, and then we're going to sing and uh, before morning tea time. And uh, do you know the reality is, on a Sunday morning when I'm driving to church, I'm often praying and praying about what I might be preaching about or praying about the, the service or praying for the kids' leaders or praying that the uh, sound system doesn't blow up partway through. But um, one of the things we do in our prayer pattern at Equippers is that we praise God and then we thank God and then we ask God for things. And before I could get around to asking God for things this morning, I was just thanking God. And you know, when it comes down to it, when I'm in a moment of prayer and I begin to thank God, I'm pretty, I'm very, very grateful for His saving grace to me. Of all the things we could focus on in our journey, or we could focus on in our worship this morning, the fact that Jesus died in my place, that He would take upon himself my sin the bible says that when he hung on the cross the reason he had to hang on the cross was so that god put upon him or he took upon himself the sin of the world the big suffering for jesus on the cross wasn't the nails and the whipping it wasn't the crown of thorns it was the fact that a sinless perfect god took upon himself all of my sin and the bible teaches that he took my sin upon himself and then he so that he could give to me his righteousness. And when I think about these character qualities that we're talking about in this series of inside out, there's things that need to change on the inside of me. It's not about me polishing up my sinful nature. Oh, I'm going to really do a better job with who Jordan is. No, it's actually about surrendering that sinful nature and remembering Jesus Christ has taken it on the cross. And He's given to me His righteousness so that actually through the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, I can live out the character of who Christ is. I can be loving to people who accuse me and hate me. I can be disciplined in my life and do the right things at the right time because of the character of Christ in me. And that's a transaction of salvation. That's a hopeless human being, Jordan, reaching out to an abundant and glorious and loving Father who makes available to me His forgiveness and His love, and He pours the character of Christ into me. Do you know the very last chapter of the book that I hope you buy and hope we read talks about the fact that God doesn't 
develop our this Christian character. He doesn't want to develop it in an orphanage or a military camp. What God does is He adopts us into His family. And it's actually His love for us that transforms us. It's His love for me that will make me more disciplined. It's my growing awareness of how much He loves me that empowers me by grace to live out a life the way that honors Him. So this morning I want to make His grace available to you. So while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, perhaps you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus, a God who loves you and a God who died to save you. Wherever you've come from and however you got to church this morning, if you haven't made that decision or maybe you made that decision so long ago and maybe even in your lifestyle and life you've walked away from that commitment. Do you know, this morning, either for the very first time or as a recommitment, could I urge you, to open your heart to Jesus, surrender your life to Him, ask Him to forgive your sin and choose to make Him the Lord, the boss of your life. When you do that, you will see a transformation in your world that you could never have imagined any other way. I'm going to pray in just a second and lead us all in a prayer where you can acknowledge Jesus. If you want to make this decision for the very first time or you want to really mark out this day as a recommitment decision, well, everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Why don't you shoot your hand up and give me a quick wave and say, that's me, Pastor Jordan. I want to make that decision this morning to recommit my life to Jesus, opening in my heart to His saving grace, to His work in my world. I'm just looking around. If you want to put your hand up, once I've seen it, you can put it back down. I don't want to embarrass anyone. All I want to do is know who's praying this prayer with me this morning. Very, very cool. Cool. I haven't seen anybody's hands. Can we all stand to our feet? You know, God's saving grace saves me from sin and then begins to save me from the presence of sin in my life. Saves me first from the punishments of sin and then slowly begins to save me from the presence of sin in my world. I don't know if if today's been challenging. I was hoping that it would be challenging. It's one of our goals when we prepare a sermon is that that it would shift our thinking and shake us a little bit so that the Holy Spirit can begin speaking into our world. Why don't you lift your hands right across the room? I want you to, what I want you to do is begin to pray just where you're at. Maybe there's some things already that you can resolve in your heart. Do you know, I know for a fact, I know it for a fact that each and every one of us could make a resolution this morning that moves, begins to move us closer to the plan of God that God has for us. I can't tell you what the resol- that resolving you should do is, but I know for a fact that the Holy Spirit wants to move us further. He wants to move us closer. He wants us to make us much more like the true self that we're supposed to be. So just right now, as if you have your hands lifted, Holy Spirit, we invite you across this room. Would you speak to us? Lord, would you speak into our world, speak into our life? Lord, we invite your transforming presence as we worship. Lord God, as we honor you, Holy Spirit, continue to move. We pray in Jesus' name. You know, if you're, as we're worshiping, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you make a decision, you think, oh, I'm going to resolve to do different in one or other part of your life. If you make that decision, could I encourage you? Find someone to stand back to back with you. Maybe someone in the building today, maybe someone you can talk to during the afternoon on the phone. And invite God into that as well so that you can agree together and believe for some transformation in your world. Amen. Lift your hands up. Don't miss this opportunity to open your heart to God. We'll hand back to the team as they lead us in songs.